The name of this podcast is We'll Preach for Food. I'm Doug, I'm pastor and a podcasting dude. I serve here at Faith of the ELCA. We're based out of Shelton. Thank you for making this part of your day. To learn more about Faith Lutheran Church, just go to our website and on it you can search for resources and ministries from cradle to the morgue. Just type in the letters www.faithshelton.org. I'm writing this intro with a cadence and rhyme to illustrate something that God does all the time. You see, we're each God's poems made up on the spot, created and published with intention and thought. This image of God's poems comes from Ephesians 2. So we'll read that passage together and discover that it's true. And then the Catechism tells us about commandment number eight, to speak well of our neighbors, the ones we love and the ones we hate. So we have a lot to cover, but I won't keep you in a haze. I'll be done in about 20 minutes, and I'll leave you with some takeaways. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to God. Are you ready? Let's start. Let's start by opening up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at the first verse. The Apostle Paul writes this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus." For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now there's a lot in that passage. We'll get back to that a little bit later, but I want to first turn to the Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What does this mean? Small Catechism says that we are to fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbors, betray or slander them, or destroy their reputations. Instead, we are to come to their defense, speak well of them, and interpret everything they do in the best possible light. So let's start with the commandment. Commandment reminds us that words matter. Now, we all know that. So, And it should be no surprise then that of the Ten Commandments, two of them have to do directly with words, with what we say and what we don't say. The second commandment had to do with our God talk, how we are to use God's name, not to curse or deceive, but to use God's name for prayer and praise and thanksgiving. Now, this commandment, the Eighth Commandment, it has to do with the way we talk to and about each other. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This applies to a court of law. This applies to Facebook and dinner parties. 
we are not to lie to or about other people. We're not to spread rumors. We are commanded by God not to slander another person or betray their confidence or their trust or destroy their reputations. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. And the Catechism takes this one step further. We are to fear and love God so that we actively defend the actions of others. We speak well of other people. We give other people the benefit of the doubt, and we explain their actions in the best possible light. And this includes family members and friends and neighbors, baristas, adversaries, and leaders. This commandment tells us to assume the best in people, be slow to judge, quick to defend. Most of the time, most people are doing the best they can. We all make mistakes. We all have blind spots and bad days. You know the power of words. Teachers know how important a word of encouragement can be to a student at just the right time. How many of us know ourselves or know people who are wrestling with issues of self-worth because of harsh words or criticisms leveled at an early age? Couples know the power of the words, I love you. And the words of a leader can inspire either confidence or fear. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can kill. Or words can give life. Words matter. So speaking of words, let's talk about God's word. Now, as Christians, we use the phrase God's word or the word of God. We use that in a a couple of different ways. We talk about the Bible as the word of God. And certainly, uh, it contains the word of God. It, It contains and points us to Jesus. Jesus in the Bible is the word of God, the word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's in John chapter 1. And so when we talk about the Word of God, it's this kind of combination. It's the words of God in Scripture, and it's the Word of God, the living Word of God, Jesus Christ. Think about that when the book of Hebrews says that the Word of God is alive and active, a double-edged sword that penetrates soul and spirit, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God exposes us, reveals the truth about us, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The Bible does this, right? The Spirit of Jesus does this, right? Now, in our Lutheran tradition, we talk about the function of the Word of God. And we say that, there's a, that it functions as both law and gospel. Now, stick with me for just a little bit. The, God's Word is law in that it exposes our sin. And it's also gospel in that it tells us what God has done for us. The Word of God exposes our sin. The Word of God saves us from the power of that sin. So go back to this passage from Ephesians chapter 2, and you can see a real clear example how the Word of God serves as both law and gospel. The first few verses here are the law. They reveal the extent of our sin. Our words and our deeds are killing us, it says. We're dead in our transgressions and sins. The lies, the slander, the alternative facts, the unkind words, along with all the other stuff, the adultery and the infidelity, the idolatry and the slavery and the killing and the stealing, 
These are all what the letter of Ephesians calls gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Our sin is the death of us, and we have no one to blame but ourselves. The conclusion is we were by nature deserving God's wrath. See how the word of God functions as the law. It's that mirror that exposes us. It gets to the heart of the matter, shows us just how bad things are. The law is kind of like one of the, like an AA intervention, right? It's to get us to the point where we have to see how out of control things have gotten. To admit that we are sinners in over our heads, going the wrong direction, and that we need help. We admitted that we were powerless over sin and that our lives had become unmanageable. We're in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. That is the gift of the law. It shows us just how bad things are. But that's not the only function of the word. The word is also gospel. God does not respond to our failings with wrath. God sees the mess we've made. God has every right to punish us, lock us up, throw away the key, or at least ignore us. But the gospel is that God does come to help us. God does care. God does love us. God saves us. God saves us from ourselves. God does not treat us according to our guilt or our flashes of goodness. But the Bible says God treats us according to God's love and mercy. John chapter 3, God so loved the world that the Father gave his one and only Son. So the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God sent Jesus to save us from sin, to save us from ourselves. And what does it mean to be saved? What is salvation? Well, it's a resurrection of sorts. Just as God raised Jesus from the dead, in the same way God finds you and me when we're dead to sin and raises us up, makes us alive together in Christ, the Bible says. Salvation is the forgiveness of sins. It's right relationship with God now and in the life to come. It's the promise that your sins are not held against you. Now, as far as the world is concerned, the cost of our sin remains, right? You do the crime, you do the time. We need that for an orderly society. But salvation is this, that as far as God is concerned... Your sins have been dealt with, paid for, and removed from the equation. Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed your transgressions from you. And all this is by grace. It's what God has done for us, the undeserved kindness of God, pure gift. Ephesians even says it's kind of God's way of showing off, you know, to raise the dead and to do it for no good reason at all except to demonstrate God's kindness, goodness, mercy, power, and love all in one fell swoop, all for us and for our salvation. And then this passage from Ephesians chapter 2 ends with verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word handiwork, the Greek word is actually the word poema, where we get the word poem. We're God's handiwork, but maybe be more accurate to say we're God's original composition, God's masterpiece, God's poem. You are God's poem. And you exist because God just sort of made you up on the spot and published you in a collection of works that God calls humanity. Humanity. 
We're kind of a living book of Psalms. You are God's original poem created in the imagination of God, an expression of the goodness of God's nature and the richness of God's grace for all the world to see and read and enjoy. You're a living word of God. God speaks to you and through you and your whole life. The ups and the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it comprises the poem of your life. Don't think about life as a test, pass, or fail. Think about life as a recital. Humanity, a collection of living words and phrases birthed in the imagination of God for us to listen to one another and to the, and to the rhythm and rhyme of God in our lives and in the lives of others. We are God's living poems. So as we talk about today, we talk about that words matter, that God's word is for you, and that you're a living word. So let me leave you with three takeaways. The first takeaway is this, for you to know that you are loved. You know, I don't know where you're at right now as you listen to this. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you feel caught in a trap or a cycle. Maybe you're spiraling downward. You feel powerless to do anything and afraid to get help. Today, I want you to know that you're not alone. God knows you. God knows what you're going through. God is good at raising the dead (laughs) and wants to save you. You are loved. You are precious. You're defined not by your sin, but by God's mercy and love. You know, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Are you feeling weary? Whatever you've done, wherever you are, come to Jesus. Know that you are loved. And if you don't believe me, then reach out to a trusted friend or a pastor, and they'll tell you the same thing, because that's the word of God, God's word for you today. My second takeaway is for all the people of God, a reminder that our mission is to bring the gospel to others. You and me, we're living words of God. You people of faith may be the only Bible your neighbor ever reads. So let your light shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know the love of God, but the world doesn't. They don't know that their precious God-breathed, flawed, forgiven creations. They don't know. They don't know and they won't know unless you preach it to them unless you reveal their inner poetry, unless you share and show them the mercy of God in your life. They don't need to hear my sermon, folks. They need to hear yours. Or maybe more importantly, they need you to hear theirs. And my third takeaway is to apply the Eighth Commandment to our whole lives, folks. What is the Eighth Commandment? We are to fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbors, betray or slander them, or destroy their reputations. Instead, we're to come to their defense, speak well of them, and interpret everything they do in the best possible light. The Eighth Commandment challenges us to be more gracious and less adversarial. So let's practice some humility and kindness in our homes, and throughout our daily lives. Let's be slower to judge. 
Let's be slower to criticize the barista who gets the order wrong or the CNA who is late bringing mom's lunch. We all have bad days. We are all doing the best we can. And let's practice speaking well of those whose political or religious views differ from ours. Let's defend the actions of those who see the world differently. Let's cheer on the pastors and the podcasts and the ministries of other congregations. Let's cheer on the leaders and officials of of the opposing political party, even if we don't agree on everything. Of course we don't agree on everything. In the church, our unity is not in our conformity, but in Christ Jesus. In the world, our unity is not on universal agreement, but in that we are all created in God's image and likeness. Each one of us are those for whom Christ died. Amen? Amen. Well, thank you for listening to my podcast today. I hope you're encouraged and informed, and I pray that each of us speaks using words that are true, showing love and respect to our neighbors, me and you. You are living poems, so give God the glory, build up your neighbor, and tell the gospel story. Be sure to subscribe or like us. You know all that jazz. And credit to this production goes to my friend Chaz. I'll leave you with a blessing from an old hymn this time. Its message is joyful, and of course, the words rhyme. Sent forth by God's blessing, our true faith confessing, the people of God from this dwelling take leave. The supper is ended, oh, now be extended the fruits of this service to all who believe. The seed of Christ's teaching, receptive souls reaching, shall blossom in action for God and for all. Your grace shall incite us, your love shall unite us to work for your kingdom and answer your call. So with praise and thanksgiving to God ever living, the tasks of our everyday life we will face, our faith ever sharing, in love ever caring, embracing God's children, the whole human race. With your feast you feed us, with your light now lead us, unite us as one in this life that we share. Then may all the living with praise and thanksgiving give honor to Christ and his name that we bear. Amen. Mm-hmm.